Good morning, Cornerstone, and for those that are joining with us this morning. My name is Paul Yu, and I am an intern here at Cornerstone. Today, I have the privilege of bringing you God's Word. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, or you can follow along on the screens. Please join with me and stand as your act of worship to read and receive God's holy word. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins are forgiven. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us now pray and ask the Lord to bless the preaching of God's word. Father, we come before you, uh, recognizing, Lord, that we are merely needy creatures in need of your sustaining word. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and for allowing us, Lord, to um, gather online uh, where we can hear your word and worship you and commune and reorient our hearts back to you. I pray, Lord, that you would bless the preaching of the word and that you would shine your light upon the dark corridors of our heart, that we may grow in greater holiness and Christ-likeness, that we, we may emanate your light unto this broken, lost world that is perishing. So we thank you, Lord, and we pray that you would bless this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine this. 
you're at Pastor Andrew's birthday party and a provocative woman comes into the house uninvited, starts undoing her hair and starts massaging your pastor on the neck while she's weeping. And your pastor sits there doing nothing about it. Your heart starts racing and your jaws drop and you wonder to yourself, what in the world is going on? If this really happened, how would you respond? What would you think about this situation? What is even more bizarre is that the setting of our passage today runs parallel to this extremely strange hypothetical account I just depicted for you. And our gospel truth of our sermon today will be a self-awareness of sin draws us to a greater love for our Savior. Our sermon will be divided under three main headings. The first heading being the setting of the story. The second heading being the self-righteous judgment. And the third heading being the self-awareness of sin. Our first heading today is the setting. Right from the outset in verses 36 through 38, Luke first wants us to orient us to the background of what is going on in this particular scene. Verse 36 will show us that Jesus is invited over to Simon the Pharisee's house, which was a customary thing to do if a guest teacher came from out of town. If you look with me at verse 36, it states, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. In this particular scene, we see Simon does not merely invite Jesus over for dinner, but he actually puts on a banquet for him given Jesus's prominence. The fact that verse 37 describes them reclining indicates this type of banquet setting. Although the intentions of why Simon invited Jesus in the first place is not explicitly mentioned in the passage, it's highly probable that Simon was curious to see who this Jesus was all about. Luke, so far up to this point, has covered a series of mighty deeds that Jesus has performed with great authority. Jesus displays his authority through casting out demons, healing the sick, and even raising the dead. In the preceding pericope, in verses 16 through 17, where Jesus raises the widow's son from the dead, Luke even notes the crowd's response stating, a great prophet has arisen among us. Luke also mentions how reports about Jesus has been spreading like wildfire. With all this hype surrounding Jesus, who wouldn't want to invite him over to see who he truly was? What seems to be a normal party at first ceases to a complete halt when an unexpected outsider intrudes the story. Luke calls us now to pay attention to this provocative woman who disrupts the scene uninvited. Please look with me at verses 37 through 38. 
where it states, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. From the outset, it might seem like this woman was an uninvited guest. But in the ancient world, these type of affairs were public. This means that everyone would have been free to come and chill in the back unless they disrupted what was actually going on. But the main reason why the presence of this particular woman is so scandalous is based off her reputation and actions, which breaks all types of social norms. The fact that Luke identifies this woman as a woman of the city who was a sinner might indicate to us that she was either a prostitute or merely someone notorious for her immoral character. Some preachers tend to overemphasize this point and detail about this unbound hair as a sexual gesture, but Luke moves away from this type of specificity and chooses not to expound it on it more. He simply wants the reader to know that this woman was an outcast marked with immorality. The action which broke many social norms is seen in this way where the sinful woman dared to approach the star and celebrity and the holiest man in the room in the face of her public rejection. What is even more bizarre is what she does next. As she stands before Jesus, she is weeping and wiping her hair with the flow of her tears and ointment she brought on Jesus' feet. Simultaneously, the verb was kissing highlights how she continuously is kissing Jesus' feet. Jesus also states later in verse 45 how she has not stopped kissing his feet. This continuous kissing and unbound hair by a woman known for her immorality would have looked very questionable to the people present. We need to realize that this would have been a very awkward and ugly sight and even sensual if misinterpreted by others. But in Jesus's eyes, this was a beautiful act of pure affectionate devotion. As this is an important backdrop that is given to us, now Luke shifts our attention to Simon's response of critical judgment against the woman and Jesus, which leads to Jesus's response, which vindicates the woman's action and Jesus's true authority. With the setting in mind, we will now move on to our second heading the self-righteous judgment. Although no signs of ill intentions of Simon were explicitly shown in the preceding verses, it will become more clear in the next verse that Simon invited Jesus to judge for himself whether Jesus was this great prophet everyone claimed he was. After the dramatic act of the sinful woman wiping Jesus' feet with her tears, the scene sharply shifts over to the Simon the Pharisee's reaction. We'll now see Simon's reaction in verse 39, where it states, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, 
If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. The Pharisee, in his self-righteousness, denies Jesus to be a prophet in his misjudgment. The main reason why Jesus was being denied as a prophet was because he let the sinful woman expand her perfume and raw affection. The question we also need to ask in the scene is, why in the world is Jesus receiving the sinful woman's affectionate gesture and not putting a stop to it? What is even more scandalous than the woman is that Jesus just sat there doing nothing about it to this seemingly inappropriate act. This was a great offense that a holy prophet of God would not condone a sinner to do what she did. Here we see how self-righteous Phariseeism responds with hateful judgment. Simon's hateful judgment here targets both Christ and the woman. It is made clear here that Simon views the sinful woman's actions with extreme disgust, for Simon, the woman's acts were not just viewed as a genuine act of love, but it was viewed as a scandalous act of lust. Simon's heart here is unmoved even by the woman's tears, which shows his disdainful attitude towards this woman for not being conservative enough. A Pharisee would tend to separate himself from the company of sinners, and they believe that if one associates themselves with sinners, you are condoning their sinful lifestyle. In complete contrast, we see how Jesus draws himself sinners and has fellowship with them. And in Simon's self-righteous eyes, this is a clear signal of a lax attitude towards the pursuit of holiness, which results in much hateful judgment against Christ. Simon says in his heart that a true prophet would have known what kind of woman this was and would have not let her anoint his feet. Simon presupposes here, that the, that the prophet is too holy of a man to interact with a despicable sinner like this woman. Because Jesus let this woman wash his feet, Simon concludes that Jesus cannot be a prophet at all and rejects Christ for who he truly is. Like a metal detector that detects metal objects from afar, we have sin detectors pre-installed in our own hearts that detects defects in others. We're all prone to have this sort of natural inclination to detect other people's wrongdoings, but for some odd reason, when it comes to pick up signals of our own blind spots and shortcomings, this device malfunctions. If you're honest with yourself, are you a fault finder who finds fault in the character of others? How often have you heard of a scandal of a politician or a celebrity only to be left with a feeling of disgust over their moral filth without even realizing that you are also vulnerable to fall in the same way if you were given the same prominence and power? How easy is it for you to nitpick at your spouse 
or even your children and criticize them for their personality flaws or bad habits without realizing your own faults and your own weaknesses. Do you see how this type of critical attitude exists in our very own hearts? We're so prone, just like Simon, to detect other people's sin without realizing our own. By falling into this self-righteous and hateful attitude, we self-deceive ourselves into thinking we do not need forgiveness. By failing to see our own sinfulness, we fail to even see our need for Christ and deem his work unnecessary. Thus, we ought to repent from this cold-hearted, judgmental spirit and ask the Lord to humble us before him. In the next verse we'll now see how Jesus is triggered by Simon's judgmental thoughts, which leads him to confront Simon for his lack of love. Look with me at verse 40, where it states, And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon answers back, Say it, teacher. When Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you, this is a particular phrase used in the Middle East to introduce a blunt speech that the listener may not want to hear. A commentator notes that at this very moment, Jesus was seeking to create a moment of supercharged tension to establish himself to be the superior teacher. This means that Jesus is about to deliver his knockout punch. In the midst of such suspense, Jesus delivers his knockout blow by telling a parable of a moneylender and two debtors to confront the Pharisees' judgmental spirits. Look with me from verses 41 through 43 to see how Jesus responds. Verse 41 states, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. We see here a pretty simple story. Uh, the plot of the parable is pretty simple with three main characters. Essentially, there are two money, uh, two money debtors and one money lender. Out of the two debtors, there is one who owes 500 denarii and the one who only owes 50. Both could not pay off their debt. So the money lender ends up canceling both of their debts. After telling this parable, Jesus asks a very simple logical question. Now, which of them will love more? Simon answers, huh, yeah, of course, the one with the larger debt. Jesus responds by saying, good job. You have answered the question correctly. But what is particularly thrilling about this confrontation is what actually happens in the following verses where Jesus then applies this parable of the two direct, uh, debtors directly to Simon the Pharisee and the sinful woman. This direct application of the parable to Simon directly corresponds to the same way that prophet Nathan confronted King David in his self-deceived state. Jesus, like prophet Nathan, first tells a parable and makes the self-righteous hearer pass judgment on himself to ultimately make the point that you are the man 
and you are the criminal of the story. Jesus seeks to confront Simon's hardened heart of self-righteousness, which keeps him from being aware of his own sinfulness. He does this by showing that the woman, the woman's recognition of her own sin leads her to respond in greater love, knowing she is forgiven. Verses 44 through 47 states, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. When Jesus asks, do you see this woman? We need to realize that this is a pretty obvious question that can be answered easily by anyone. But what Jesus is really asking is whether Simon could truly see this woman the same way Jesus saw her. Although Jesus tells Simon that he answered the question correctly and understood the plain interpretation of the story itself, Jesus makes the point here that Simon completely missed the point of the question. You see here, Simon is a devoted church member who is very respected in his own community. He grew up in church his whole life, and he knows all of the right Bible answers. So a simple question like this is an easy stroll in the park. Although he might have answered the question correctly, he fails here to capture what is at the essence of what was being asked. Week in, week out, like Simon, you could come to church hearing all of these good sermons. You can participate in all the CG meetings. You can attend all the Bible studies. But what good does it really do if you can't apply the gospel truth in your own life? And to put it frankly, you could go to church, you could do all these types of religious things, and you could completely miss the point of it all. If the love of Christ is continually devoid in your own life, as we see here in Simon, it might indicate that you might not know the gospel at all. For what good does it do to agree what the Bible says on the reality of sin without realizing sin exists in your very own heart? It's far easier to affirm concepts like the concept of sin but much harder to swallow the pill that you yourself are a sinner deserving of wrath. If you can't accept this cold reality of yourself, you also can't accept Christ either. The irony here is that I myself stand here as the greatest Simon preaching to other Simons. I know how self-righteousness can be so ingrained in my own heart and how dangerous it is If I leave it there undetected, there are countless, numerous of instances of how self-righteousness has manifested in my own life. I remember when I first encountered Christ, I was filled with such exuberant joy and zeal for the Lord. And all I wanted to do is read the Bible and share the gospel with others. 
But as time quickly went on, I grew in this self-righteous type of attitude, thinking that my spiritual experience was far more profound than others. I grew in spiritual pride, thinking that I was a far more devoted follower of Christ and judged everyone else to be lax in their faith. During this time period, I remember a friend genuinely came up with me, broken, confessing his sin, and I remember looking at him with a cold heart, with a disdainful eye, thinking, how could you keep living this way? As I completely forgot Christ's forgiveness of my own sins. God has to humble me over and over and over again as self-righteousness manifests in newly evolved ways in my life. Even in my present circumstance in this present season as a seminary student, it's so easy for me for the self-righteous attitude to creep in my own heart and the amount of knowledge that I'm learning. And as we seek to grow in Christ, we need to grow in awareness of our self-righteousness and humble ourselves in the gospel daily. We'll continue on now to see the importance of growing in awareness of our sin. As Jesus contrasts the woman's greater love against Simon's lack of love for Christ. All of this comes to our last heading of our sermon, which is the self-awareness of sin. The sinful woman demonstrates for us how a humble awareness of sin responds with affectionate devotion for Christ. A humble awareness of sin leads the sinner to see his or her great need for a savior. Where the Pharisee misjudged Jesus by denying him to be a prophet, the sinful woman correctly recognizes Jesus to be your savior because she has a humble recognition of her own sin and need. Simon here is obviously the lesser debtor who did not give water for Jesus' feet, which hosts were normally expected to provide. Simon did not even give a kiss of greeting, which reveals his cold heart. And Simon did not anoint Jesus's head with oil, which shows his lack of respect. On the other hand, the sinful woman, she's the greater debtor who responds with greater love by wetting Jesus's feet with her tears and her hair, unceasingly kissing his feet, not caring what other people think, anointing Jesus' feet with expensive ointment that she prepared to give it all. The main difference here that we see between Simon and the woman is that the sinful woman knows herself to be a sinner and, and is received with forgiveness by Christ, her Savior. On the other hand, Simon, he, he rejects the forgiveness of Christ as he fails to see his own sinfulness and need for deliverance and religiosity. It's so easy to subconsciously put ourselves in a high pedestal and judge others to be more deficient than you. It's so easy to pinpoint other people's sin thinking they need the gospel without realizing you need the gospel even more. Unless you see yourself as a forgiven sinner, you'll always think of yourself far superior than others. 
when in reality, the gospel teaches us that we all stand in equal plane at the foot of the cross, guilty of sin. A true understanding of the love of Christ humbles you and creates in you a heart where we can receive sinners with love, just as Christ has received us with his infinite unconditional love for us. At the end of the day, if you think everyone else needs a savior except yourself, you are Simon. You are self-deceived in your self-righteousness. As you seek to live your life for Christ, you must be self-aware that you are in need of the gospel daily. Jesus brings to attention here how the woman's response shows a greater degree of affection, whereas Simon failed to respond because he did not know Jesus for who he truly was in his self-righteous hatred. The text calls you today to resemble this needy posture of this sinful woman rather than this pompous Pharisee who thinks he has his life all put together. So humble yourself and realize you are not as great as you think you are. Rather, you are much more in need of Christ than you could have ever imagined. In verse 47, Jesus states the main point he is trying to get across. Verse 47 states, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. The reason why the sinful woman is able to respond with this great lavishing display of love is because she knows the forgiveness of her debt of sin, which highlights our central truth of our passage, which is a greater self-awareness of sin responds with greater affection for a savior. If you know the depth of your sin, it'll turn to a deep response of love as you come to know the depth of Christ's love, which covers all sin. In contrast, self-righteousness blinds you from seeing who you are and who Christ truly is. It's only when we recognize our great need, we can truly see the great deed of the Savior and all that he has done for us. To bring this narrative all the way to its final climax, what Christ does next is he authoritatively declares the sinful woman forgiven in verse 48. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. The crowd immediately begins to murmur amongst themselves in verse 49 and states, who is this who even forgives sins? Those seated at the table questions Jesus' authority to forgive sins because only God has the authority to forgive sins. Knowing this, Jesus says again to the woman in verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus completely destroys Simon's prideful ego by showing how his misjudgments about Jesus and the sinful woman were completely incorrect. Not only was Simon's judgment of Jesus not being a prophet completely mistaken, but Jesus vindicates himself to be far greater than a prophet as he displays his divine authority to forgive sins. For forgiving sin is far much greater deed 
than healing, demon casting, or raising the dead of what he's done so far. It's through this declaration of forgiveness of sin where Jesus foreshadows his greatest deed to come as he's led to die on the cross crucified. Not only do we see Jesus' Jesus's divine authority here, but Jesus reveals himself to be a friend of sinners, but also an enemy of the proud. As Jesus commends the woman for her humble act of faith, Jesus simultaneously condemns Simon's prideful heart of unbelief. While Jesus deems the sinful woman as his friend, he deems Simon as his enemy. At the end of the day, the question we all need to ask is, who do you see yourself to be? And which are you proving to be at this very moment? Jesus either commends you for your act of faith or condemns you for your self-righteous pride. You're either a friend of Jesus or an enemy of Jesus, for there is no such thing as neutrality. Are you the self-righteous Pharisee or are you the sinful woman? Even though you might think you resemble more of the woman, the sad reality is that we religious types who grew up in the church are much more like Simon. If you were to be really honest with yourselves, there is a Simon in us all. Like the sinful woman, you desperately need to see how much we need to be rescued in Christ. Jesus calls you here today to humble yourself before him and recognize the depth of sin that you have been forgiven of so that you might appropriately respond in greater affection for your Savior. For if you humble yourself and recognize your sins and see the tender heart Christ has towards sinners, you too can walk away with receiving the same sweet words of assurance that the sinful woman heard from the mouth of Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. Let us now pray.